You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to season four of the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Aisha Lee. She is the head of Consumer Insights at Open Signal, integrating network experience and market performance. Aisha is also an amazing speaker, as you are going to find out very soon. She is a crazy, amazing entrepreneur and businesswoman. And here's how crazy she is. Aisha, welcome to the show and tell us your fun fact. (laughs) Good afternoon, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a great honor to be on your platform. My fun fact is that I actually auditioned for Cirque du Soleil when I was 18 years old. I danced for many, many years and got really prolific at it to the point where um, doing West African dancing in particular I was invited to audition for Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas. So clearly that's not the path that I went on in life, but certainly an interesting part of my life that I don't share with very many people. So you're getting an exclusive sneak peek into my life. And no, there are no YouTube videos where you can find any of this documented. I made sure they're buried deep. Oh, bummer. I was so going to ask that exactly. Like, where can we see this kind of dancing? And I mean, I just have all these visions in my head because for anybody out there who has never seen Cirque du Soleil, it's not just a dance troupe, shall we say. I mean, it's contortionists and acrobats of all sorts. I mean, it's unbelievable stuff. So I can, okay, we're going to have to have a conversation about this after the show is done because I need more information on this that we just don't have time to get into today. But let's go in a little different routine for the moment. What's an essential part of your morning routine? I'm guessing it's not acrobatics. When it's not acrobatics, and it's not because I'm 30 years old. (laughs) I mean, I can't do the things that I used to do anymore. But an essential part of my routine is prayer and meditation. It's the way that I sort of get centered. And, you know, we all know when you are in leadership positions, I certainly feel the need to create some sort of a routine where I get really centered around what's important to me during that day. So prayer and meditation helps me do that. Beautiful. And give us your 30-second elevator pitch so people are really clear on Open Signal. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, my name is Aisha Lee. I'm the head of Consumer Insights at Open Signal, and we are the leading global provider of data and insights integrating both network experience as well as market performance. And so What our data does is it enables the communications industry to optimize network experience as well as commercial performance with our goal to advance connectivity for all. I love working at OpenSignal. It's really one of the best jobs that I've ever had in my life. Outside of that, as you mentioned, I'm a seasoned speaker. And then I also own a communications firm where I help folks become more powerful speakers by just harnessing the power of their speech and making them have a lasting impact in their communications. Beautiful. Now, we just talked about getting clear in communications. What about some miscommunications we've had? What's something that you wish more people understood about your role, about your company or your industry? And what's your role in changing this perception? Great question. So my role at OpenSignal is brand newly created. 
So one thing that's important to note is that Open Signal focuses on deterministic data. What is actually happening in the market from a network performance experience standpoint? What I was brought in to do was to layer that, that what is happening with the why it's happening. So mm. I've been in consumer insights for my entire corporate career. And the reason why I love that is because it helps me to better understand and uncover those consumer behavior patterns, the reasons why folks are making the decisions that they're making. And so the challenge and the misconception that I've had is when you work for a company sometimes that is focused on that deterministic data, there isn't that much value placed on the voice of the customer. And my challenge has been to make sure that we're elevating the voice of the customer and helping to provide more holistic insights around not just what is happening, but why it's happening. Interesting. Okay. So not just the what, but the why. And I think this is reflective of a trend that I think many of us have been hearing for the last few years as far as stop talking about the what, start talking about the why. Very much part of that Simon Sinek, golden circle space and getting clear people connect more with the why than with the what. So is that part of the motivation for OpenSignal building this new position? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, if you go on the OpenSignal.com website today, one of the latest reports that we released for North America, what you'll see in a little thumbnail over on the top right-hand side is a little box that shows consumer insights straight from our household survey that gets 30,000 responses every single quarter. Wow. And so talk about elevating consumer insights, right? Where traditionally that was not the case before I started at OpenSignal. It's really exciting to see the company really embracing that. And we're getting tremendous positive response from our clients as well. Beautiful. Now, what is a time, Aisha, when you have allowed yourself to be a little bit vulnerable with your team? And how did it impact your relationship with them moving forward? So I'll take you back to a few years ago, and I can't believe it's only two short years ago, uh, after the murder of George Floyd. Mm. If you can recall, the atmosphere during that time was just one of a lot of sadness. There was so much kind of happening societally here, at least in North America. Yes. And I felt personally affected by that, obviously, as an African-American woman. Um, I'm an African immigrant in these United States, but in these United States, I just look black, right? And so my experience has been very similar to that of African-Americans. And I have a nephew who's 22 years old. I have another nephew who's 18. And so there's this constant fear of what if it happens to me? What if it happens to my family member? Because these things happen more frequently than they should. Yes. So in the context of that, obviously, team meetings were just not the same. Mm. Folks came onto the call and there was just this like energy of, you know, disasperation, really, mm. or exasperation and frustration and a lot of tears, frankly, you know, including mine. And during that time, I was really challenged with how do I handle this situation when I don't really know where folks are on the spectrum of this, how they feel about it. And so there were a lot of listening sessions that were happening across the company. And I participated in those, but I wanted to talk to people one-on-one -on -one because I thought it was really important to exude that I understand part of what you're experiencing. I'm experiencing it in real time with you. And some of the questions that I would ask is just simply, how are you doing? How are you doing with all of this and allowing them the room to communicate their true, genuine feelings about the situation? Yes. And what I learned from that is that people appreciate a really good human moment. I know I appreciate a really good human moment because all the things that we're doing are incredibly important. 
But at the end of the day, when you shut that laptop, there are very real things happening. And so I think it's really important and it was impactful for me to have a moment of vulnerability and really talk about not just how they feel, but how I feel about the situation as well. And did you share your own emotion with them, how you were feeling about it and how it was influencing or impacting you? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't cry on those calls, but I certainly had red eyes. So part of it is exuding some level of strength so that you can inspire others. It was important for me to try to inspire others during that time as well. But I certainly voiced that it was devastating for me. It was devastating for my family and that it simply is not okay. And we can't just continue to go on as if it's okay. So it's okay for you to feel like it's not okay as well. I know I use the word okay many times, but yes. But you know what? I find that even simple words like okay, there's a time and a place. And when you're really trying to get to the rawest part of someone's emotion and to connect with them on the most fundamental level, follow the KISS principle, right? They keep it simple, sweetheart. Keep it, make sure that it, it, people, people ingest simple words, one syllable words. They get the meaning of it. They get the vibe, the gist of what those meanings mean. The more big polysyllabic words that we throw out, people have to process those cognitively and think about, okay, do I understand? They're they're not going to have the emotional response in the same way. In, In these kinds of moments, especially when we're hitting on pain points, Mm -hmm. just being able to be simple and accessible is very often, I think, the best way to go. So um, no apologies necessary on my front as far as that's concerned. Now, when is the time when you had to assert yourself powerfully? Let's go in the other direction. What were you thinking and what reaction did you get? So let me place you in a scenario in the head of someone who is ascending in their career. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily have at that time all the information that I needed, all the confidence that I needed to succeed in a particular role. So we're talking about middle management in a company a long, long time ago. And though I didn't necessarily feel the full confidence of being in middle management in a director level position, I knew what was right and wrong. And I knew what I sought out as a leader because it was the same skills that I try to impart as a leader as well. And one thing that was really, really important to me was having a leader that has your back. And at one stage in my career, I had a leader that I didn't necessarily feel had my back. And so I'm not attributing anything negative to this particular individual. There are a million reasons why that could have been the case, right? Including just personal things that were happening, other pressures coming from the top. Those are all things that as I ascended in my career, I felt as well. So you don't always have the emotional bandwidth, I didn't always have the emotional bandwidth to recognize that I'm not as focused on my team members as I should be. And so the conversation that had to happen after several instances of me seeing that this individual didn't necessarily have my back in meetings, I would come up with a recommendation or I would come up with a plan and that we would agree on that ahead of time, but then challenged by other leaders or or peers, I didn't necessarily feel they had my back in those moments. Mm. And so the conversation, before even the conversation, to be honest, it was overcoming the fear of saying something that would be career limiting. Yes. How do I address this individual, right? Who has my career literally in the palm of his hands to say, I don't appreciate that. 
Yeah. I need you to have my back. And so we had the conversation and the way that I framed it was, I really appreciate what you're trying to do in terms of pushing me in meetings. It's helping me to grow because it challenges me every time. However, I do feel that whenever we agree on something and then we're in a meeting and you seem to digress from that without voicing that, oh yeah, we had aligned on this, but I can certainly see why perhaps we need to go in a different direction. It undermines me. Mm. And most importantly, undermines you. And so what can we do together to make sure that when we are in you know, settings where we have other leaders present, we are not creating an environment where we're giving off a sense that we are not well aligned together because that doesn't reflect well on either of us. One of the hardest conversations I've ever had. I can only imagine. And how, what was the response? Very defensive. Mm. So after spending probably what could have been an hour trying to craft my message in a way that was direct and yet not offensive, it was defensive. And what I learned from that is you get what you get. You can do everything that you possibly can think of to frame something in a way that is positive and progressive. Mm. But I had to be prepared for whatever reaction I was going to get. Mm. Going back, looking at the, in hindsight, if you could go back and do it all over again, how would you, what would you have done differently to help it land better? That's a great question. And I don't mean to sound like I have all of the answers. Oh, none of us do. That's why I'm asking questions. (laughs) Yeah, I genuinely don't know. And sometimes I have those moments where I think about that. What could I have done to, to, but sometimes I have to realize that I just have to let it go because Mm. I can't identify what I could have done to make that interaction a more positive one. And the only answer I could give myself is there is just something going on with this individual that I don't have any control over. Yeah. Right. So I can do my best to continue to refine my communication style. I can do my best to think about, okay, perhaps I could have framed this in a way that made it very appropriate parent or more apparent that he also had skin in the game in terms Mm -hmm. of changing this habit. But that's one that actually keeps me up at night to this day. We all have those moments. And it's an important caveat that you shared, which is that sometimes you just don't know what's going on in somebody else's life so that no matter how perfectly you think you've mapped something out, they're going to hear something else or they're going to take it a certain way that you couldn't have predicted, certainly didn't intend, but it's just going to land wrong no matter what. And it really doesn't have anything to do with you. It's the moon, it's the tide, it's whatever it happens to be. And of course, then there's usually need to follow up and fix things afterwards or have a do-over or, and you never know where it goes, but it's always frustrating when that happens. I find sometimes using contrasting statements in those moments can help to try to preempt some of the potential defensiveness using the not X, but Y kind of, you know, please like to share something with you. I I want to come across as this, but please don't mistake it as being critical or as being complaining. You know, I'm just asking for your assistance in something I'm trying to understand or need to ask your support in a particular way. Uh, So you never know. And of course they can just tell you to go pound sand with that too. <laughs> but we're always looking for ways. Yeah. If I add to that, one of the things that I've learned as well is to not start with negating statements. Mm-hmm. So for an example, don't start with, I don't think X. I don't think that's the way we should be doing things. Right. Is very different from stating what you observe. So it seems like, you know, in meetings, we seem to have a difference of opinion or alignment. 
despite the fact that we aligned prior to the meeting. Mm. Instead of saying, I don't think that that's right, or I don't think we should do it that way. Just simply say what you do think. I think if we were to make sure that we're aligned during meetings, we could accomplish why. So you don't need to negate the person's experience in order to say what you do think. And I think that was a very important lesson for me to learn is to figure out how to make statements, just either just make them neutral. Yes. Without using the negative version of that same sentence. I find most people to that point, they need mentally to put a transition in. And the transition is usually a but or a however. And the fact is, you don't need a transition. Make the statement if you want to acknowledge something that they said as far as their, the intention or the value of option A, as they mentioned, okay, put a period there. Then offer something else. I'm wondering if we did that, what might happen with regard to side effect A or how we would then account for these other kinds of things. Or I'm curious or I can't help but wonder if what might happen, or just a new question, what might happen if we did this way as well as an alternative? Can we explore that too? So it's a and yes, as opposed to a but. It's the three letters of destruction, B-U-T. Yes, a- I love that thinking, Laura. There's the concept you're probably very well familiar with in UX design, user experience research, which is another kind of part of consumer insights that I do, which is the framing a question as how might we mm in order to expand the possibilities of potential responses. So to your point, and see right now, even you're making me rethink, how might I have (laughs) approached that conversation? So how might we make sure that we're better aligned? Love it. And so you're giving the baton for someone to come up with responses that could work for the both of you. Love it. Love it. And see, even now, five, 10, 15 years later, however long it is, there's still new ideas coming along. And so thank you for sharing. And thank you for letting us go down that rabbit hole with you a little bit and take it back to the lab of sorts and figure out what new options might be. Now, this brings us, Aisha, to the Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge. So I've just challenged you and myself, for that matter, to go and reassess an old event. But let's challenge the listeners to do something new. This is your chance to talk to the audience and Give them one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? So excited for this. You have no idea. So oh, good. here's what I will say. I'm going to give you a little bit of context real quick, and then we're going to get into the actual challenge. So the context is this. As leaders, we were hired to come up with solutions, right? We are problem solvers by nature, and that's how we've been able to be able to have influence. That's how we've been able to shape organizations. I will challenge anyone to spend 24 hours not solving anyone else's problems. Oh, okay. As your team members, as you're working with cross-functional teams, if problems are arising, resist the urge to raise your hand and jump in and provide a solution. That will help you do two things, right? Number one, it will help you identify other problem solvers Hmm. in the company or on your team And number two, right, and this is a mechanism that we use when we do focus group moderation, provide airtime for other people to rise to the occasion and be empowered to also come up with solutions themselves so that they're not consistently coming to you with problems to solve, but they're potentially coming to you with problems to solve. And the response in that instance is, well, what do you think we should do about this? It's a great way to empower others, but also to continue to build a brand as someone who is 
there in terms of developing others' talents, but also it gives you new ideas. Maybe there's a fresh perspective that you've never thought of, but you've never actually given the room and the space for other individuals to actually solve some of those problems. So that's the challenge. That is something that I think will be a challenge for a lot of people to just bite the tongue and resist the urge to fix it, to give the answer, especially when something seems really obvious. And it's like, what would be the most efficient thing for me to just tell them what to do and have them go do it? Whether it's logistical efficiency or ego that's got a little bit of stronghold in wanting to be the smart one or all the other things that I personally am guilty of and many other people I'm sure as well. So resist the urge, bite the tongue, hold back and just turn it around. She gave you a perfect phrase there. So what would you do? What do you think is the best solution? How would you take care of it? So uh, put it back on them. 24 hours, don't solve anybody else's problems. And I'm going to extend that further and say, try that at home too. When your kids, your teenagers, your whoever it is says, mommy, fix this. Daddy, what am I supposed to do with this? Hey, honey, how can I just let go? Let them do it. Say, I'm off duty. Aisha told me not to. Sorry, can't do it. Figure it out yourself. Come back to me tomorrow if you still need it or if you still care. There you go. Think about how much freedom you will have by not having to solve everybody else's problems at home. Imagine that. That might be the best piece of advice I've heard all day from this interview and beyond. Like just make everybody else solve their own stuff. Set yourself free. I love it. Fun. (laughs) Okay. Now tell me about a time when you needed to inspire others. What did you say or how'd you say it and how was it received? Inspiration is my jam. Ah. I feed off of it a lot. (laughs) I watch motivational talks. It really just helps me get into the right mind frame when you start getting those limiting beliefs. Mm. And I have certainly gone through ebbs and flows where it's not necessarily that I felt like I couldn't do it, but I had doubts on whether or not other folks could see that I could do it. Mm. And that's a communication skill too, is how do I communicate my value? And so one inspirational talk that I've given at a few different conferences is speech is power. Mm. And so I mentioned that, you know, I do coaching where I help folks harness the power of their speech, but here's a key component that really resonated with the audience in terms of inspiring them. It was don't confuse timidity with humility. Interesting. Yes. Go into depth on that because I hear that a lot. Well, I have to be humble So it's a value, uh, it's a family value, it's a cultural value, humility means, and it is typically interpreted as, so I stay silent. Please expound. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to, because this is personal for me as well. Mm. I come from a culture and a faith where humility is absolutely a core value for me, and it will always be a core value for me. But I learned that if you are timid, There is no way people know what value they can either derive from you or give to you. Yes, I love that. And so if you have a gift or a capability or an ability, it is absolutely your responsibility to communicate that so that people know what value you can bring to the world. And I think there's a really important distinction where, let me give a concrete example. You got a brand new shiny certification. You can either put on LinkedIn like, I've now been certified in X and that's great. People will celebrate you. People will say, great job. We ought to uplift one another. But what if you said, I got a new shiny certification in X so that I can provide Y or so that I can better help my clients do X or I can better help my organization do fill in the blanks. You're now couching an accomplishment 
in a mission to improve the lives of either yourself, your company, organizations, the world, right? And so once I learned that I can still be humble by framing my accomplishments in that way, it really jives with my spirit. Yes. And I liked what you said. It ties back into your original point about the why. What's the misconception? And what are the things that you're trying to frame out? People just understanding why you do what you do. Because to say, guess what? I got my black belt in Six Sigma. They go, okay, congrats. Means nothing to me or to whatever else. It sounds impressive. Doesn't sound like something I could do. But beyond that, it's like, I can like it and then I'm done. Because beyond that, I don't know what to do with it. But if you say, and I got this because I want to contribute X, because I want to add value Y, I'm excited to be able to do these kinds of things. It's not, hey, I'm the smartest person in the world. I'm better than everybody else. But I want to give this to others. It's a statement of generosity and it's something that people can connect with. And who knows who might then approach you to ask a question or to engage in something else, not necessarily to offer you a job. Maybe it is to offer you a job, but it's to realize that there's a person under that. It's not just the stamp of approval with the certificate. Is this resonating with you, Aisha? A hundred percent. You said statement of generosity and my eyes lit up because I had never framed it in that particular language. So thank you for that gift. I absolutely love that. I'm going to borrow that. I will credit you for it. But (laughs) I love thinking about it that way. It's a statement of generosity. I think it is because people are often afraid to tell others what they can do for them because they, what do I sell? Do I sound like I'm selling something? Do I sound like, well, and even if you are, especially if you're an entrepreneur or if you're in, you happen to have a more proactive sales oriented job of whatever sort, mm-hmm. you're not just trying to figure out a way to sucker people out of their money. The point is you do what you do because you believe what you're offering will add value to somebody's life. They will be happier for it. So for you not to share what value you'd like to add to somebody else, they are going to be struggling for lack of that value. So why would you hold back? Because your ego is going, well, I don't want to sound arrogant. I don't want to sound whatever else. Get your ego out of it. It sounds counterintuitive, but that is ego talking. That's self-ego protection bit. I don't want someone to think something negative, so I just won't share my gift with them, even if sharing it would truly enhance their life. So we've got this very odd sort of backwards Again, once again, how we get in our own way. So, all right, I'm off my soapbox. Back onto yours. No, I love your soapbox because I think to your point, what you say is incredibly important, but how you say it can really, you know, as I always say, win hearts and minds and, and help you make that lasting impact because otherwise you're just sort of, to your point, speaking into the ether and, you know, not everyone's going to be happy for you and your accomplishments because, you know, we know like envy is a real thing and all these things. but there is a way to frame accomplishments and success and gifts in a way that makes people be seen and helps them see either themselves or other people in the solution that you're providing. And so even in the workplace, right? Do this. If you haven't, you know, you just recently got your MBA. That's wonderful. Sing it from the mountaintops, but do it in the way that helps the organization understand the value that they can derive from that. Love it. Okay. We're going to shift into, I think, one last question here. And tell me about a time when you have interviewed candidates for a leadership role and you've thought to yourself, wow, this person really has it. What is that it factor? And how did you recognize it? So the it factor for me is, do they think differently enough from me, Mm. right? In terms of process and ideas, 
but do we have the same standard of excellence? And so by same standard of excellence, I mean things like, you know, do we have the same expectations around like appropriate delivery time, communication style and how we ought to serve because I serve internal clients, right? My work is not directly provided to our clients. It's given to internal teams who then translate those insights to our clients. So one of the things that I look for as I'm hiring or as I'm interviewing is what is the sort of communication style of that individual, right? Do they come off a bit more authoritative or do they come off a little bit more sort of warm? Is there a balance? And the it factor for me is going to be when I see internal alignment between my standard and theirs as well. But, you know, for me, it's important to have people who will help augment and elevate the thinking as well. Mm. Because, you know, why would you want a team full of people who think exactly like you and can only come up with these same solutions as you? No, you want someone who is able to challenge respectfully and elevate the thinking. But the standard for excellence for me needs to be on par. And how do you recognize that? Without, especially, and this ties really well into our last conversation point, as far as for someone who is in a job interview, they need to let you know what some of their accolades are. They need to tell you some of their successes. They need to give you examples of things that they've done. So they need to self-promote, but in a way that still perhaps has in a what they feel is a culturally, personally appropriate amount of humility insofar as not something like them bragging. But I got to tell you what I've done. So how do I share it with you? How do I convey to you my standards of excellence in a way that you can recognize without saying, well, isn't she full of herself? Love that question. I'll share something that I've done in the past. And then I've seen someone do it. And I went, wow, eureka moment, right? Because I worked in blue collar settings for a very, very long time before I made the transition, which is really difficult one, that's a conversation for another day, into sort of corporate work. When you say blue collar settings, for those who don't know what that means, what does that look like? Just real quick. Yeah. As an example, I worked as an assistant manager at the children's place many, many, many years ago. Okay. So So a retail clothing store for children. Retail clothing store. Exactly. And then I realized I can use my brain in different ways. So I decided to get an MBA and then I moved into corporate settings. Very grateful for, for all those experiences. But one thing that I did earlier on in my career is I started putting together a portfolio of my work. So I had a physical portfolio, the same thing that, you know, you'll have like visual artists, creatives, models carrying around. Mm. That was my modeling book. It was instead of telling you all the things that I can do, let me show you what I've done. Mm. And so I was careful about making sure that insights or proprietary insights were masked, of course. But here's an example of how I present consumer insights. Got it. Here's an example of how I marry the data with some of the qualitative insights to help you understand what the actionable recommendations are going to be. So literally a portfolio of mine. So you had a portfolio binder of sorts with things like graphs and charts to show correlation of work that you had done and the value that it added, for example. Exactly. And again, that's an interview. So different people are, depending on your industry, what would a portfolio look like? Is there something, you know, one sheet, two sheets, or it could be a slide if you're going to show something on screen? What evidence, what can you physically bring with you to show to that person in the interview? So interesting use of props, as it were, and visual aids. Terrific. Exactly. Because I feel that as an interview, I always have this doubt of this person sounds great. They present wonderful on their resume, but can I see them in the day to day? And I see what type of output they would actually provide in the day to day. And when I saw a candidate do that, I was like, I mean, it's a no brainer. I do it and do it well, obviously. 
it was a no brainer because I could literally see, okay, here are the gaps or the opportunities that they might have to elevate how they present actionable recommendations and insights. But I have a really good idea of how this person works and thinks. So that I think is really powerful differentiator because I can't think of many people who do. And I think that last piece I want to highlight for people just to make sure it sinks in that you just said you wanted to make sure you had a picture of how people work and how they think. It's not just what they did. It's not just the results they got. The process in many ways matters as much as the product. You want to know how this person thinks, how they work, because that gives you a better sense of what they will be like to work with, not just if you leave them to their own devices, they can do this by themselves and exclude everybody else or otherwise be taskmaster and make everybody else do the work. And they sit there and then say, here's what I did when they didn't technically do anything. So seeing that insight of your thought processes, your work processes, not an excruciating detail, but some kind of peek in there, making that transparent is very valuable as an interviewing tactic. Am I interpreting what you've shared accurately? Yeah, you would make a really great focus group moderator, by the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just in general, being an excellent communicator, 100%. Um, And if I may throw one more in there, please. And this is not an original thought, and I don't know who to credit this with. Okay. But asking people, what is something about you that's not on this resume? Mm. So assuming they don't bring a portfolio, I always ask that question. Tell me something about you that's not on this resume. And it stumps people every single time. Yeah. (laughs) What I'm looking for is the person who will pause and say, let me think about that for a moment. And they pause and think about that. And I think that's something that's very difficult It was difficult for me to do that in professional settings because we're so wired to having an answer for everything. Mm. But I'm looking for the person who is thoughtful about their response and not just giving me a response because they think I'm pressed for time or they think I just want to hear a response. Yes. There's no right or wrong answer. I'm just looking for, do you have the courage to be deliberate about what you're going to say? Oh, I love that statement. Okay, everybody, I'm highlighting that one too. So note in there, do you have the courage to be deliberate? about what you're going to say. Say it again. Do you have the courage to be deliberate about what you want to say? Take that pause. Think about it. The interviews in particular, people will give you time to think. I guarantee I will stake money on the fact that if you were to say to someone, you know what? Give me a second. That's an interesting question, but let me think about it so I can give you a focused and cohesive answer. Who's going to say no? Don't take 10 to 15 seconds to think about it. Could you just start talking right away and blather at me and then I'll figure out if there was any value in what you said? No one will ever say that. So take the time, show that confidence in making that request. I think that speaks volumes as well. In its silence, ironically. A hundred percent. Yes, the ways embracing silence can make you seem just like an incredibly deliberate and thoughtful person. On that note, Aisha, I have a feeling we could do three more episodes without blinking twice if we just let it continue to go, but we do not have that luxury today. So how can people learn more about you and Open Signal? Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for this time. It has been a joy speaking with you. So opensignal.com, www.opensignal.com. Learn more about our company and amazing data and insights that we provide inclusive, of course, of the consumer insights that our team provides. And then a little bit more about me. I'm on LinkedIn. Just type in Aisha Lee. You can find me. And if you want to learn a little bit more about how I empower folks to be stronger communicators, you can find me on Instagram at SitBeeStudio. And I'd be happy to connect and talk about 
everything, consumer insights, how to get on stages, how to be a more influential speaker. But thank you so much, Laura, for this opportunity to be on your platform. Well, I loved every minute of it. So thank you for joining us and everybody else out there. Thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to subscribe if you have not done so yet. So you never miss an episode. And of course, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Socola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.